And good evening, everyone, or good morning, or good afternoon, because you're all in different time zones in something like 190 countries that we reach. Can you imagine? I'm sitting here in a little studio in the land of enchantment, in the middle of a desert, north of Albuquerque, New Mexico, with a gorgeous sky and a beautiful moon, and I see Mars getting closer in the east in the southeast skies, just over the horizon, it will rise in an hour or two. And it's getting closer and closer. And in July, actually July 27th, Mars will be closer than it has been for 17 years. Because, of course, the two orbits are not circular. Ours is kind of, and Mars is not kind of. So we can get closer to or farther away every two years when we have what's called an opposition, meaning it's opposite the sun. And this year is a particularly good opposition. It's a little over 35 million miles, which is almost as close as it can get. Not as close as back in 2003, where it was uh, closer than it had been for 60,000 years. That's a, that's a real number, real calculation. But, I mean, we're talking miles. We're not talking thousands of miles or millions of miles. So it, it doesn't really matter. Optically, it's going to look incredible if you have a decent pair of uh, binoculars go to look if you have a telescope that's even better if you go to various websites on the um uh on the web you'll see all kinds of uh chats and blogs devoted to mars and the opposition and there's some astonishing imagery coming out of the amateur astronomical community i mean the amateur technology now is good as good as they had at palomar in the 19 actually no it's much better because when you're dealing with film and planetary imaging, in the time it takes to take a picture, tenth of a second, quarter of a second, one two hundred and fiftieth of a second, the atmosphere moves. Whereas with CCD technology and webcams and all that, you can you can basically run several minutes of video, high frame digital video, then the program will pick out those momentary images of thousands of frames where the atmosphere was still and crystal clear. And it's like looking at Mars across a vacuum, across space, like the digital stuff can remove the effects of the atmosphere. So you get these astonishingly, incredibly high resolution images of not just uh, Mars, but of everything out there, including the moon. Now, the reason I want to talk a bit about the moon before we get to my guest tonight is we had a, a we had another death this afternoon. Alan Bean, the fourth person, the fourth human being to walk on the moon, died at the relatively young age these days of <clears throat> 86. Now, you may not have been following Alan Bean's astronaut career, but you may have been following his artistic career because when he when he got back from the moon, this was a Navy veteran, engineer, etc. He turned from the hard sciences. He turned from, you know, left brain stuff to right brain stuff. And he painted an exquisite series of images of him and, and Pete Conrad on the moon in all different guises, in all different ways. Anyway, I don't want to take a lot of time tonight, but tomorrow night, because of Alan Bean's untimely passing, we have revamped our show. We're going to be doing an Alan Bean Artistic Commemorative with a number of people that you've heard on this program, particularly Andrew Curry. And <clears throat> we're going to bring in some surprises. Um, I'm trying to get someone on the show who actually worked with Alan when he was an astronaut and they were in the, in the program there in Houston. Um, this segues, of course, to item number two. Now, for those who may not be familiar with how this show works, you go to the other side of midnight.com. That's our website. And you click on that. And that will take you to, um, if you go to the graphic, which is for tonight, you know, May 26th, uh, Gary Williams, click on that graphic. And that will take you to tonight's guest page. Scroll down in Radio with Pictures, and you'll see a number of items under my items. Number one is the bean. New York Times obituary. Number two is very interesting because, as you know, we're working on a very comprehensive video compilation of our research that is going to go hand-delivered, hand-carried from us directly to the President of the United States. 
And we've talked in other shows about the machinations of how this is working. And this is not a pipe dream. This is absolutely real. Kinthea is about halfway through the edit, and it's looking really amazing. The membership, of course, to Club 19.5, they got uh, uh, access during the workshop live, and they now can view the uh, recording as part of their club benefits. We're going to open this up to the general public when we get this thing edited, and you'll be able to see the same thing that the President of the United States has specifically um, been set up to see through a mutual friend who is a guy in radio I've known in New York for quite some time. He's got a hundred million or so in Salem. So he and Donald kind of talk the same language, you know, with green. And so he has offered to directly take this to the president and insist that he at least watch the first half hour. So we will see shortly what all that uh, uh, brings to fruition. Apropos of that, item number two on tonight's roster in Radio with Pictures, Wilbur Ross, who is the current Secretary of Commerce, has written something on WhiteHouse.gov that's really fascinating. A moon colony will be a reality sooner than you think. I strongly recommend, we're going to post this tomorrow night as well when we do the Bean Show, Um, I strongly recommend that you, you kind of take a look at that because that's part of how we're going to make America and the planet great again because the riches in Dendar Hills at so many different levels. Well, we'll talk about all this tomorrow night, but I want to give you a heads up. Tomorrow night, we're going to talk about Alan Bean, his extraordinary work as an astronaut on Apollo 12, his extraordinary artistic accomplishments, and some of the things he was telling us, like Emily Dickinson, you know, tell all the truth, but tell it slant, that he was telling in his artwork that he never told in a press conference. So for those of you that may have missed our past allusions to Alan Bean, astronaut and artist, you do not want to miss this program, this special program tomorrow night. Moving on quickly, um, item number three and four in our gallery and radio with pictures is basically about the Kilauea volcano in Hawaii. Um, When Robin and I were in Hawaii doing the measurements at uh, Mauna Kea, uh, we, we, we actually had to bypass the volcano there at Kilauea because it was dumping lava into the ocean. And when that stuff hits the water, you wind up with all kinds of very noxious things. You don't want to breathe if you want to stay on this mortal coil for a while longer. Things like hydrochloric acid are produced. So that steaming stuff falling off the edge of, of Hawaii, the big island, you don't want to get too near that. So... We did not get to see Kilauea when we were there, um, which I'm kind of uh, sad about because I've always wanted to see an active volcano. Now, if you look at items number four um, in radio with pictures in my items, we've got some incredible satellite imagery that it was taken by, you know, the crop of current state-of-the-art technology in orbit upstairs. We've got a daytime shot. And then Kintia very nicely sized the nighttime shot from the same spacecraft um, right below it. And so you can see that this this material pouring out of Kilauea and streaming down across the landscape through this uh, couple of suburban communities, uh, Lalani Estates, I think, is one. It's headed for the ocean and it's building Hawaii. This is how the Hawaiian islands were built. So you can actually see, if you click on this story, there's some links to some astonishing new video um, the guy, by the way, who had his leg broken when a lava bomb caught him by surprise as he was babysitting one of his neighbor's houses to make sure that the lava bombs didn't incinerate it by tossing hot lava into the roofs and lighting fires, which is what he was doing, putting that. He got hit in the leg by one of these things and it broke it right in two. And he thought at the time he would never he would never survive, A, and B, if he did, he wouldn't have a leg. The doctors apparently did an incredible job, and he's going to be walking. It's going to be months, maybe six months, but he's going to be walking on his own two legs. He's an incredibly fortunate guy. Anyway, item number five, before we get to my guest, something very mysterious was shot and killed in north-central Montana near Denton. And the reason that I um, wanted to put this up is because, A, the symbology of the dog stories that are coming out in the news all over 
all over the planet is very interesting. Dog and cat stories. You'll see a whole spate of them that are kind of, you know, kind of a blip on the radar. But the really interesting thing about this story is that no one can identify even the experts, the fish and wildlife people. They have no idea what it is, and they've sent DNA samples out, and we may find out uh, something more or we may not. I just kind of thought it was kind of curious that in our midst, when everything else is going on, these strange cryptozoological stories keep appearing kind of time to time. So um, anyway, my guest tonight is a very interesting individual. Turns out that we have a lot in common. He's a radio guy. He lived and worked in Massachusetts. He's worked in radio all over. He's interviewed a number of the people that, that I know. Uh, we were talking uh, for air about Stanton Friedman. We're probably going to talk about Stanton Friedman during the show. So let me give you a kind of a thumbnail sketch, and then we'll get into this evening, because this is one of those evenings people said, you're doing a show on on what? Psychics? What the heck do you know, or why are you intrigued with psychics? Well, that's for you to hear in the rest of the three hours of this morning. Gary Williams is an award-winning writer and a radio and television host, a working psychic and a working astrologer as well as the leading authority on the paranormal, having spent something like 40 years researching ghosts, mediums, life after death, flying saucers, conspiracy theories, cover-ups, etc. Gary's widely traveled. He's consulted and tested hundreds of psychics, mediums, healers, and other individuals who have claimed to possess these, I hate this term, paranormal abilities. We're going to get rid of paranormal because if they're real, they're not paranormal, they're normal. They're just maybe not shared by everybody, or or are they? We're gonna we're gonna talk about that. Gary was born in Virginia Beach, Virginia, home of the famous trance channel Edgar Casey. He began studying astrology in 1970 in Virginia Beach, and two years later undertook psychic development classes at the Edgar Casey Foundation. In 1973, he began work as a professional astrologer and moved to Boston, Massachusetts where he studied under Isabel Hickey, author of Astrology, a Cosmic Science. This led to further studies in Tarot and Psychic Development at the College of Psychic Psychic Studies, I can get the words out tonight, in London. He currently divides his time between writing and lecturing, and he lives in an idyllic location, Spain. So, live on the other side of midnight, Gary Williams, this is your life. No, I'm sorry. Welcome to the show. Well, good morning. It's sunny Spain. It's not sunny. It's six fifteen in the morning, but it's it's pretty nice. You're right. It is our it is idyllic, and it's also Marbella. So, by the way, there's two L's. And it's pronounced Marbella, not Marbella. So, for anybody listening who wants to move over here, come on over. It's great. <laughs> okay. Um, let me let me kind of reel the clock back because this bio is so sketchy. It's like you've had a really interesting fascinating a generalist kind of life when in when in your young youth did you wake up one morning and realize that an awful lot of what you'd been taught was not real it, it may not be an outright lie but it was a misapprehension uh, no actually i had no idea uh, about any of this until i went to a séance that my high school biology teacher took me to in 1963, I was about 16 years old. Uh, she took the class on field trips, thinking that she was going to broaden our knowledge of the world. And she started out with taking us to a zoo and all that sort of thing. The second time, it was a spiritualist church. And don't forget, the 1960s, mediumship was not like you see it today. Somebody standing on a stage with 500 people and throwing out 500 names and saying, I have a John, can anybody take that? It was the real deal back then. And I had no idea what I was getting into. My indoctrination into the psychic realm, I've already obliterated the word paranormal for your listeners. Thank you. Actually took place in this this, uh, room where materialized figures 
materialized. Of course, there's been an enormous amount of fakery in this. We all know that. You're start, going to start getting calls. We all know that's fake, Gary. Well, there has been, but this one was real. The medium's long dead. His name was Warren Smith. Nobody ever heard of him. And uh, he sits in a corner in a cabinet with a curtain, and ectoplasm flows out of him. You could actually see the smoke come out. I saw it. And by the way, I was sitting in front of the only door, and the floor in the room was concrete, so there were no trap doors. Anyway, an Indian guide materialized, an Indian girl. She looked to be about 20, and she walked around the room. She had long, black, braided hair. And when she came to me, she said, don't worry. She said, we have somebody special for you tonight. I just wanted to get out of the room. Hmm. And my indoctrination came when my turn, well, all right, three people came for me. And don't forget, this is something that's still known, but never done anymore. I've been told it takes 20 years to develop this kind of very specialized mediumship. Anyway, the first person who came, I think I must have been about 16, was... One of my grandmothers, everybody has two grandmothers, I wasn't, never knew my father's mother. And when they said, your grandmother is here, I said, you're wrong because my grandparents are still living. And it turned out to be Mary Williams, who died in the 1940s, and I didn't even know about her. And so this woman materialized. She wasn't there very long. Then my uncle materialized. My uncle I knew very well. My uncle used to take me on fishing trips. He died of cancer in 1960. So at the end of the day, here's this man standing there. Here's my uncle. I could see him solid. By the way, the room was lit up in brilliant red light. We were not sitting in the dark. People always say, were you sitting in the dark? No, I was not sitting in the dark. Anyway, he went, and then the centerpiece of the performance took place. This is what started me on this path when this person came. I went back to my seat. I thought, well, it's probably over with by now. I'm off the hook. Well, guess what? I wasn't off the hook because what happened then was an old man came forward. I didn't know this old man. And he took a hold of my hand. He shook it. He was just as solid as a real oh, living my. human being. I mean, he was... Oh, yeah, well, they're all solid. See, that, that, that's solid. one of the things I wanted to ask you. Were they just visual apparitions, or no, could you touch no, them and no, hold no, them? No, no. Anyway, it was. he asked me a question before he told me who he was, and I had no idea. I couldn't answer the questions. I didn't know. He said, have you ever heard of Freud and Jung? And I said, no, I've never heard of Freud and Jung. He said, well, I'm Carl Jung, and I was a spiritualist too. And I said, oh. I didn't know what to say uh -huh. after that. And he said, I'm in the band of one of your one of your guides because I am just like you. I started out very young and I was very doubtful of organized religion. My father was a pastor. His father was a uh, some sort of a minister. And at the end of the day, he became an investigator of psychic things. A spiritualist. He wrote his doctoral dissertation on spiritualism. And to be honest with you, <laughs> the last chapter of his autobiography, which is titled Memories, Dreams, Reflections, is entitled Life After Death. And he said, I just want you to know I'm around you. And I said, look, I don't believe this. I must be dreaming. Hmm. And I took a piece of Wrigley's chewing gum out of my coat and handed it to Dr. Jung. He crumpled it up and handed it back to me. And I had that chewing gum for five years on my shelf. And I can tell you for a fact that when I went home and told my parents, they took me to a psychiatrist. But it all happened. It all happened, and it was all... Oh, well, by the way, how did the materialized figures disappear? They went right down into the cement floor. And there's no way that it could be faked. There's absolutely... There's many ways that those kinds of things have been faked. But not in this particular instance, you know, there's good mediums, there's bad mediums. We won't mention any of the bad mediums because I don't want anybody to get sued. But there's some people walking around today who are very famous, but uh, they're not real. So this guy uh, absolutely was the real. And that was my indoctrination. And from that moment on, I realized that everything is not the way we have been taught. And, of course, then I got involved at a much deeper level. I went to the Casey place and got involved. Was Casey's son was still alive. Then he, uh, Casey died at 44. 
I got into that and I studied astrology and I, you know, it, it just became almost a, an addiction really to learn about this. And then I went up to Boston to work for the famous WGBH, WGBH, the French chef, uh, Masterpiece Theater, Julia Child, all those people became a producer, did a show, and at the end of the day, studied astrology with Isabel Hickey. And now I'm, that's the only thing I do now is write books and, and do astrology charts for people. Well, it sounds um, to me, Gary, to Gary, Gary, I have a million questions. My God, you, you've basically set up the next nine hours if we went nine hours. This, 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 this kind of field trip, your biology teacher took you and, and, and your biology class to this location, right? That's it. And it was, you said it had a concrete floor. Was it, I mean, what, what was the, what was the, 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 what, what, what was the venue? In other words, was it, was it an auditorium? It was a spiritualist church. Okay. It was a spiritualist church. We had gone to a spiritualist service in which they give messages where, you know, I have a man here who says he's your uncle. His name is Lud Garthy, X, Y, and Z. And then, you know, uh, can you take that, the man in the back row, that kind of thing. And as we were going out the door, there was a blackboard that said materialization of seance next Saturday night, medium Warren Smith, sign up here. And the lady that was running it asked my teacher, have you ever been to any of these things before? Because the requirement is you have to have been to one before. And, of course, she lied through her teeth. Oh, yes, we've been to dozens of these things. That's ridiculous. We've never even been in a spiritualist church before. And so we would admit, I think it was $5 to get in. It was just, uh, it was absolutely amazing. And the Indian guide also said, it takes an enormous amount of energy to produce this thing uh, out of the medium because they draw, I can tell you what happened to me, uh, they draw power from the sitters, the people in the room. And I felt power being drawn out of me from my belly button, from my solar plexus. I could feel a tightness, a pulling in my solar plexus area while the seance was going on. And if you were very observant, you could see, even in red light, you, you could see everybody's facial features. You could see the color being drawn out of their clothes. The color was used to make the color in the materializations. It was just a phenomenon that you'd have to be there, as mm. an old American saying, you'd have to be there uh, to see it. It was real. And years later, when my teacher retired and I was in my early 20s, I went out to their house. And uh, she she just couldn't accept it. She was too indoctrinated into into Christianity. Wait, wait, wait. Who, Jesus who, said this. Who, who, who could not accept what? She couldn't accept that it was real. Who is she? She thought that my teacher. Okay. So she's the one the that took the class. Accept. She took the class. Correct. She saw all this, and it blew her mind yep. like Robbie the Robot in Forbidden Planet, and she right. couldn't accept it. It was so dissimilar to her view of reality she just turned it off which is one of the reasons why we don't know anything about life after death from a scientific point of view because it's been stuffed stifled by organized religion and she was one of those people who believed in all the religious nonsense you know the virgin birth and all this crap and she'd been so indoctrinated into it that the idea that the dead which they're not really dead anyway, they're in another dimension. And if you study particle physics and uh, quantum physics, you realize that there are many dimensions, one of which the so-called dead are in. And she just couldn't wrap her mind around any of this. And so, uh, you know, when I wrote A Walk on the Wild Side, the last chapter of the book is, uh, Brother, Can You Spare a Paradigm? everybody in the audience stand up and take a bow okay the, re the reality of all this is that we have to indoctrinate new paradigms and if we don't indoctrinate these new paradigms we're still going to be talking about the earth is flat and uh wait a minute uh, uh the bible says that the sun revolves around the earth and if you don't believe that you know we're going to put you on the rack and torture you and uh, thank you catholic church for two thousand years of uh holding back progress or progress as the americans call it hmm. i have to be honest with you I, I i don't have a really good feeling about religion but we you know i can give you twenty thousand reasons for that mm, i somehow uh, got that impression gosh gary i wonder how you could have <laughs> <laughs> yeah 
All right, I'd like to do this in a, in, in a kind of a logical, consecutive way so we don't lose people because, to me, to have this baptism of fire of a totally different, immiscible reality right in front of you at the tender age of 16, I mean, I remember back how impressionable I was at 16, etc. This obviously was a life-changing event. Would that be an overstatement? Totally. Totally. So, so it's not I an overstatement. I started out as a child. Uh, no, it's true. I started out as a child. Uh, that's an old Bill Cosby line from one of his uh, stand-up comedy routines. I started out as a child. I, I didn't end up like Bill Cosby, thank God. But uh, at the end of the day, what, it, what, it, what I did end up is that starting out as a child knowing nothing about any of this, ended up as a 68-year-old man probably knowing more about the subject than anybody living in the world today because I've experienced these things myself. And I, you know, I was friends with Leslie Flint. He had the independent voice where the voices of dead people would come through the air in the dark. Uh, those tapes are now on YouTube and they're also on leslieflint.com. You can go and listen to them yourself. Uh, you know, I had these experiences and, and there's just no way that any of this could be faked. Having said that, <laughs> lots of people fake the same kind of thing and it isn't real. You know, there's a good bad, there's good and bad doctors, there's good and bad lawyers. I mean, you know, there's nothing new about this. Well, is part of the phenomenon itself that you have to come to it with your own perceptions and your own awareness and your own questions so that it isn't just something you accept, it's something that you fundamentally test out and then you move into no, a I came to it knowing... I came to it knowing nothing, and I realized that over time I began to evolve into a different human being. I came to it knowing nothing and realizing that, uh, to quote Stanton Friedman, it's the biggest story of the millennium. Well, it is the biggest story of the millennium because everybody knows they've got to die, and uh, nobody knows about what happens then. I sent your producer a snip of a tape, if you want to use it later, of, uh, I believe, Amy Johnson, who died in a plane crash, speaking just as clearly as she did in life in mid-space. And, uh, you know, but that's the subject for another part of the show. But I actually do feel, beyond the shadow of any doubt, that I evolved from nobody to from knowing nothing to knowing, you know, almost everything there is to know, even, you know, what happens at the moment of death. You're no longer at the second of death. You're no longer even in your physical body. So all these cemeteries are just basically, there's nothing there. There's nothing there. It's just uh, it's just the remains of uh, before that second when you were still alive and then you weren't anymore. And so that's, that's the only way I can put it. So this must have really, I mean, you're 16, and you're with a teacher who doesn't believe it. She thinks it's somehow faked. Uh, the class, you know, obviously talks about this the next day. How did the other people in your class respond? How did the other kids respond? Most of them, most of them thought it were real, or they were scared. They were kids. Why were they scared? Hang on, hang on, hang on. Why, why, were, why were they scared? Well, because you're you're you know in a in a in a a red light in a in a sort of darkened room, and you know what they call ghosts are walking around. Uh, why are people scared of Halloween? I mean, they weren't ghosts, but uh, yeah, I mean, they were just, you know, the kids and I was scared. I was terrified. I mean, I was, this Indian princess materializes and walks around and tells us that she's going to bring our loved ones and all the rest of it. I'd never heard about anything like this in my life. But at the end of the day, what did happen was that I, it, it's, it's a good thing it happened because Jung came through Flint hmm. uh, later and told me that you're, uh, you know, I'm still with you and you have a lot of work to do. Well, he told me in that seance. Well, hang on. We're, we're at the bottom of the hour and you know what that means. So hold okay. it there. I know what it means. <laughs> My guest of the morning, a really interesting guest, I must say, is Gary Williams. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland, and we shall return.
You're listening to the first hour of The Other Side of Midnight. Be sure to catch our complete live show every Saturday and Sunday night at 9 p.m. Pacific, midnight Eastern, for a full three hours of this kind of exploration. And be sure to visit theothersideofmidnight.com as you listen so you can follow our special Radio with Pictures guest page simultaneously. The Kinthea, our hardworking producer, specifically prepares to illustrate the topics discussed each show. Why? Because there is vital additional information on that Radio with Pictures guest page that I assure you will immeasurably enhance your understanding and enjoyment of what our guests are describing. I mean, would you rather listen to a guest talk about NASA images of ancient artifacts on Mars or simultaneously be able to follow the official NASA images showing you as you're listening the ruins? If you'd like to listen at your convenience to all our shows, including our unique Radio with Pictures feature, please visit theothersideofmidnight.com and click on the Join Club 19.5 link in the left-hand column. Okay, what do you get with your Club 19.5 membership, besides helping the show literally stay on the air? Well, first of all, you will exclusively, this is not available to the general public, enjoy our enhanced ad-free podcast, courtesy of Chris Bell automatically downloading all the latest The Other Side of Midnight shows directly to your favorite podcast device so you can listen when you want to. Further, as a full Club 19.5 member, you will gain exclusive access to our The Other Side of Midnight 24-7 chat server, what I can't help calling the Open Hailing Frequencies Room, which is available only to members 24-7. Now, during the show, that's where you will find other 19.5 members and sometimes even members of the bridge crew, my guests, and even me uh, when I have time. Regardless, you can always relay live questions to me during the show just by going to the open hailing frequencies room. Of course, when we're not on the air with your 19.5 membership, you can visit our club 19.5 radio archives anytime and download all our shows directly to your computer which will automatically provide you a screen size that allows you to really examine the remarkable images Kinthea posts for each show. Okay, <clears throat> here's where I need to get kind of super serious. Club 19.5 is how our show is currently solely supported. In my hopefully not vain attempt to keep commercials <clears throat> to a minimum, if you're concerned about keeping us on the air, if you want to hear information that has been vetted far more than perhaps any other show, the best way to ensure that is to join Club 19.5 and get your friends and family to join too. And if you don't know already, when I drop by open hailing frequencies, you can even ask me directly what the ultimate meaning is behind 19.5, literally the most exclusive club in the world. Please join me and my interesting guests on this very stream every Saturday and Sunday night at 9 p.m. Pacific, midnight Eastern, and be sure to come back and listen to our live three-hour shows. Thanks for listening, and now, back to the show. On this Saturday night, May 26th, my guest tonight, Gary Williams and I, are probing and exploring, and we're going to get into a very deep level conversation on the idea of psychics, mediums. I guess maybe before I continue back with your kind of biography here, I should ask the difference between a medium and a psychic. Gary? Well, that's a great one. That's a great one. Uh, of late, meaning in the last 10 years, a new term has sprung up, psychic medium, which is totally meaningless, folks. Okay, what's the difference between a psychic, a medium, and a psychic medium? A medium, that's just plain medium with nothing else added, no salt, no window dressing, is a person who reputedly contacts people who have died, either through mental mediumship through trance mediumship or through 
physical mediumship, like the materialization seance I went to, or like Leslie Flint, who was able to produce an independent voice with ectoplasm drawn from his body to form an artificial voice box. That's what mediums do. Psychics can be anything from people who predict the future, like Jane Doherty and in New Jersey, hello Jane, and basically anybody that does any psychic thing, will tell you what your, uh, you know, where your lost wedding ring is or anything like that. that's that's psychic phenomena. <clears throat> so uh, the the third term is something that was cooked up by the New Agers. I'm not a New Ager uh, to dr dress up the word medium by making them psychic mediums. I'm a psychic medium. I hate it when I hear that term, hmm. uh, and I always correct them. I say, no, you're just a medium. Uh, actually, I'm a small, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, every time I hear that term, Gary, I think of Marshall McLuhan. You know, his famous line, the medium is the message. In, in, in mediumship in this arena, the medium is, in essence, the message coming from where? Well, the message is coming from the deceased individual, if, if it's genuine, uh, if it's mental mediumship, impressing their thoughts or what they want to say into the mind of, of the medium who then relays it to the sitter. Or, you know, even, even better, you know, like Gladys Osborne Leonard or the woman who started the Parapsychology Foundation in New York, Eileen J. Garrett, she would go into a deep trance where uh, a control would take over her body and speak for the deceased. Uh, Mrs. Piper was probably the most uh, famous. Uh, Mrs. Piper was studied by William James, who was a professor at Harvard University. He was studied by James Hyslop. Uh, all these famous pioneers of the American Society for Psychical Research, the ASPR, all these people are dead. But this is what's happened to mediumship. It's just gone down, 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 down. So now you have the blankety blank blanks. I'm not going to mention hmm. any names who write books and become famous. And uh, he's written 16 books and he goes all over the world and he's a fake. So uh, I know he's a fake because I knew him before he became a medium. So I won't mention that. But I definitely want to say that it has gone down because it takes a long, long, long time to develop this skill. You have to sit in a circle with other people, and it's many, many years of trial and error. Lots of people don't want to do that. And so now you have all these reality TV shows with all these people who are purported media. How did they get it? How did you become a medium so fast? Well, I was born with it. Well, of course you're born with it, but a pianist is born with the ability to perhaps play the piano, but he still has to study the piano. So what we have today is a watered-down version of something that used to be great, folks. Used to be great. It's not so great anymore. There's a few. Hmm. There's a few. Not too many. Not now, too many. All right. If, if uh, Gary, uh, you know, pardon me if I ask really dumb, stupid questions, because I'm trying to... Keep going. Trying to ask... <laughs> The, the things that I think that everybody wants to know, when you were exposed to this, I mean, if, if you'd live in an era of 63, of course, we didn't have smartphones, et cetera. If you'd had a smartphone, do you think, and this is obviously subjective, just, you know, your impression, do you think you could have gotten video of these three-dimensional materialized beings? Oh, absolutely. It was just like a real person standing in the room, only it was in a red light, because they say that uh, white light the ectoplasm that they use to make the figures can't be drawn from the medium and the sitters. Oh, absolutely. As a matter of fact, uh, it's been done. As a matter of fact, there are pictures. If you go on the internet, and I'll give you a few names here, uh, Minnie Harrison was uh, one of the most famous, and there's pictures of her materialized figures. Uh, I don't think there's any Warren Smith uh, figures. Um, Ethel Post Parish is the most famous. She was from Florida. She set up a spiritualist camp in Pennsylvania over the summertime. Uh, there's 60-second interval pictures taken of her Indian guide materializing in various stages. That's on the Internet. Just type in Ethel Post Parish, P-A-R-R-I-S-H, P -A -R -R -I -S -H, hmm. in Google Images, and you'll see all that. Oh, absolutely. The problem is it's gone down the drain. It's just gone down the drain. People don't want to take the time 
to develop these gifts and it takes time. You know, I could, Mozart might have been a great, but he also studied music. <laughs> I mean, come on. Hmm. You know. See, uh, to me, I'm just kind of wondering, because this is, if not, you know, close to, it's the most important issue. Do we survive or do we not? And I would think in the 21st century, with this incredible ability to find out almost anything via the internet, that you'd have a dedicated group of people who would really want to, you know, pardon the pun, channel their chops to get really good to provide information, to provide a conduit, to provide a medium for an audience, which now is all connected on social media. I mean, it, if you have real people doing real stuff, it's going to, it's going to, you know, spread like wildfire. Well, Why isn't Wesley it not? Flint did that. Leslie Flint did that. He died in 1994. He was tested by electronic engineers. Uh, he was tested by scientists. Uh, he was uh, sealed in gag, made to hold colored water in his mouth, made to hold marbles in his mouth to prove it wasn't coming from him. Hmm. And still the voices came to tell their story of what happens when you die. And there are thousands of these recordings. Anybody can go on YouTube and type it in, find it, hear them all for themselves. Uh, you know, it all sounded different. It didn't sound like, you know, like a mechanical voice or anything like that. So the answer to the question is why it isn't being done today is that there's no mediums around that still have these abilities. Uh, because apparently the the interest in this is you know uh, a quick buck. Uh, you can just you know uh, put on the show of mental mediumship and and make a lot of money. Uh, Flint did almost exactly what you said before the age of smartphones and social media. He did it by going around and lecturing about it and talking about it. He went to Hollywood a lot. He was friends with Brian Hurst. He's no longer working as a medium. And he used to give seances there. And I used to go to, I lived in Hollywood, obviously. And uh, yeah, it was, uh, it, it was just exactly what you said should be done. But unfortunately, I don't know of anybody today that can still do these remarkable things where they can be tested. Alex Tanis, my best friend, that's T-A-N-O-U-S, he died in 1990 of pancreatic cancer. He was tested in New York for everything, uh, to go out of the body and go to a distant place and, and say, well, what did you see? There was three objects on the table, Alex. Come back and tell us if you could really do this. And, you know, uh, I'm in, he's in New York and the object's in L.A. You have to come back and tell us. And he did it. He did it. It's all documented. Uh, he's no longer with us. These are very special gifts. Very, very special gifts. Very few people have these gifts. Is it possible? To, to me, if, if there's a human inclination, you know, the old idea of build a better mousetrap and the world will be the path to your door. Um, if, if this facility, if this, if this talent, I don't want to you know, make it sort of too per, superficial <laughs> to call it a, a talent. It seems to be something deeper. If, if this exists and kids are born and they're born into a world where there's all this available information now, where is the new generation wanting to really do this at a level where it's real? Well, I don't think there is a new generation that are, uh, you know, I think, you know, I have to agree with several people who are exploring the UFO issue who were basically not as dedicated as Stan who said, you know, uh, it's interesting, but I still have to go on. I still have to pay the rent. I still have to buy food. I still have to go to the supermarket. You know, <clears throat> it doesn't really change anything. I don't think the dedicated people that you're – I don't know anybody who is sitting in circle dedicated to really make an impact and change things, like you say, to social media today. Uh, it takes – an I sat in this – come on – I sat in a circle myself for 11 years. I might as well tell the story because once I met Flint and I heard the tapes of the independent voices speaking, all kinds of voices, uh, American voices, English voices, men, women, Flint was a man, obviously. Um, I wanted to have this gift myself. And so I took it upon myself to sit in a circle to develop this great mediumship that I thought I was going to have. I sat in the dark with a group of dedicated sitters in Virginia Beach. Then I moved to London, England, <clears throat> where you have all the great uh, mediums of the past. And I sat there for seven years. Absolutely nothing happened. I finally went to a medium at the College of Psychic Studies where I was taking classes 
And I sat with a very famous medium who's no longer, mental medium who's no longer living. And, and she said, are you sitting for the direct voice by any chance? And I said, yes, I'm sitting for the direct voice. And she said, you'll never get it, you know. She said, you have to have a very special body chemistry to produce the ectoplasm. And that's what the spirit doctors work on when you sit for development. And you have to be born with that chemistry. <clears throat> she said, <clears throat> give it up and go back to California. Hmm. That's what I did. So, okay. So look, look. I'm one of those dedicated people that you just asked about. Okay. Why was I not born with it? I think because my, 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 my talent uh, in this, in this particular incarnation is to write about it, speak about it, lecture about it, uh, maybe make a TV show about it. If that happens, it's been predicted that it will happen in London, although it won't happen in the United States because I'll never go back there. But it's not my talent to be a medium. It's my talent is to get the information out about all these things and how they're all interconnected and why we're here. You know, when I wrote A Walk on the Wild Side, I started out the introduction of the book. I started out by by saying, you know, the purpose of writing this book is to explain what human existence is all about. And Colin Wilson, who was one of the most famous psychic writers of, I've avoided that word paranormal again, one of the most famous psychic writers who ever lived, said there's something fishy about human existence. We need to find out why we're here. Hmm. And uh, the reason why we're here is if you buy the book A Walk on the Wild Side, You'll find out. It's out in bookstores all over the world next week. It's out in, you know, run, don't walk to your bookstore. In London, Washington, New York, and even Tuscaloosa, Alabama, if you order it, I suppose. <laughs> and uh, way out there in Snowflake, Arizona, I'm doing my Stan Freeman impersonation. Way out there in Snowflake, Arizona. That's where, uh, I can't remember his name, got picked up by UFO. It was a very famous case. Um, yeah, all, so all, all, those, all, those, all those loggers. And, and I'm blanking on his That's name. Right. I can That's see it. him. I can't... Uh, I can't think of his name either. No, I can't think of it either, but it doesn't matter. Travis uh, Walton. Uh, Travis Walton. Travis Walton. Yeah, the Travis Walton case is very well documented. Betty and Barney Hill. I met Betty before she... She was friends with Alex Tannis, who we've already mentioned. I spent uh, an extraordinary Hill, evening with Betty and Barney Hill, debriefing them. Wasn't she? Well, Betty died in... I mean, Barney died in the 1960s. This was uh, back in 65. Yeah, yeah, it would have to been, yeah. Yeah, and I found out some amazing yeah, stuff, and then I turned on a friend of mine, his name was Alan Heineck, to go and talk with Betty oh. and Barney, and that led to the a whole bunch of other Jay stuff. Alan Heineck, yep, smoking yep. his pipe, and okay, yep. we know all about Alan. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, he started out as a, as a government, uh, what do you want to call it, uh, <laughs> placed there by the government, and as he became to gather more and more information, he realized it was real. Yep, yep. No. And he ceased searched working, ceased working for the government. And, uh, you know, we could spend a whole show on, uh, I sort of say, our government. It's not my government anymore. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. Um, what was that famous uh, study that happened in Colorado that they... Uh, the Condon they Report. Colorado. The Condon. Uh, oh, the Condon Report. That was a complete setup, that Colorado well, thing. Well, of course it was. That was a total. Yeah. That was a setup to yeah. shoot it down. Yep. Okay, look, and, I, I, I'm uh, trying to be a little linear. It's kind of hard, but oh. I want to get back so people don't lose the thread of thought. So Gary at It's six, easy with me. <laughs> uh, well, you, you, could, you could hold your own in, for days on this, I'm sure. <laughs> Gary at 16 is exposed to a universe that nothing prepared him for and then gary at 16 does what how did it change your life how did it affect the next years the next decade that kind of thing well i became a paranormal investigator at 16 uh you know uh, i went to the library and got a book and said that's all i, I got memory streams reflections out of the book out of the library that was young's autobiography and there was a picture of that man many pictures of that man in memories I have that book on my desk. It's never left my desk. Uh, and here was Carl Jung. <clears throat> I read all about his life, and I delved deeply into the thing and realized that all through his life that he bucked the system just like me. He was a renegade just like me. He wasn't going to take it just like me. And he basically, uh, you know, that's the least known part of Carl Jung. Carl Jung was known for his 
uh, essays on dreams. He's known about dreams more than anything else. But he was a spiritualist, and he wrote this book, and the last chapter of the book was uh, about life after death, where he uh, went to a distant place and uh, saw his deceased friend in the garden, and he told him to go and get a book in his library, in his house, where he used to live when he was alive, and he went and got that book, and he told him the name of the book, and sure enough, the book was there on the shelf on the third row uh, to the right, and you know all the rest of it. So yeah, I mean, uh, it changed my life. I became a paranormal investigator. Uh, then when I was in my, um, well, my first book, A Life Found Death, was published in London, and immediately after that, I got a call to investigate a poltergeist case in California, and I went and lived in that house for eight and a half months and witnessed every phenomenon firsthand, saw it all happen, saw things dematerialize in front of my face, saw it all happen. It's all been documented. It was on Unsolved Mysteries with uh, Robert Stack and all that. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it changed my life. It, changed, it, it completely and totally uh, changed uh, my life. And by the way, the poltergeist phenomenon is very documentable. The most interesting one was the Enfield case in London where uh, there were two little girls. And of course, they were <laughs> accused of causing all the tricks, uh, but they weren't really because it was investigated by Guy Lyon Playfair, who just died about two weeks ago, by the way. He wrote the foreword to my book, and he was the principal SPR investigator, <clears throat> and he, he also lived in the house and saw all the stuff happen. So it was the beginning of a journey, which took me to where I am today, to, you know, a hopefully somewhat respected writer on this, uh, on this stuff. Uh, we'll never know until we see how many books we sell. Okay, let me go back to my, my dumb question. Um, you mentioned something several times about guides. <clears throat> you're 16, you're sitting on this concrete floor lit with red light, and Carl Jung appears in front of you and says, I'm one of your guides. How the hell did you get lucky enough, Gary Williams, to have Carl Jung as a guide, and what the hell is a guide? Well, the guide is basically somebody who essentially... Uh, helps you or impresses you or guides you, for a better word. Uh, how I got it, I would assume, is because like everybody else's life who was ever born and lived on the earth, I had a mission. Everybody has a mission, some great, some not so great, somewhere in the gray area in between, that uh, I was supposed to do this work. And so how I got lucky... Wait, 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 let, let, assume, let, let, let me stop you there, okay? Everyone has a mission. How come 99.99% .99 of the people I know or used to know, because I've got a better crowd now, they wouldn't have a clue when you told them they had a mission. They'd look at you like, what? I'm not an astronaut. How come well, if your we... mission could be something much different. It could be a mission to help people through working in, uh, in a clinic or doing volunteer work, or it could be doing something in your local neighborhood. It doesn't have to be being a, coming a paranormal investigator. Oops, let that word out. It doesn't have to be becoming going into psychological research. It could be, you know, my life plan, if you will. Obviously, Carl Jung knew about it. I'm answering your question. Carl Jung knew about it. He knew that this was something that I would... It's all set up before you're born. I mean, you choose your parents. You well, wait, 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 wait. You say that and, like we all should assume that what you're saying is, you know, I'd like you to, if you can, you know, do a little documentation. How do you know it's all set up before you were born? Where does free will well, come I in? Well, I have probably listened. I probably listened to every single Leslie Flint tape where everybody from every walk of life. Okay, we're going to talk about, about Leslie happened. Flint. We're going to take maybe a half hour, hour well, to talk about the Leslie Flint. Is by, by, by hearing it from people who are over there, and, and, and obviously if they've been over there long enough, they must be able to get access to uh, the information. My life, just like everybody else's life, I had some kind of a plan. He knew about the plan. Mm -hmm. uh, he obviously, well, okay, like gravitates to like. He had the same problems when he was growing up. I had the same problems. I was born into the Episcopal Church with all the bells and smells, very high with all the incense and everything, Catholic before the Vatican II thing. Uh, I didn't believe in the theology, but I loved all the ritual and the, the vestments and everything. And I realized it was all just a, a theater show. And uh, he, he, he went through the same kind of thing with a more uh, fundamentalist father, and after his father said, I don't know what the Holy Ghost is, Alex Tannis was Catholic. And he said, I was told the only ghost is a, he was a ghost hunter. 
the Holy Ghost is the Holy Ghost, Alex. And so, yeah, so obviously that answers that question. Okay, but not my question. Um, did you well, did you encounter, all right, you encountered Jung, and the reason I'm emphasizing Jung is we have a, a member of the audience who's really into Jung, and I'm sure I'm going to hear, hopefully she'll call in in the third hour and ask you a couple of questions, but your first exposure to Jung, and then you confirmed it was him that you saw in the library, have you had other contact with Jung down through the rest of your life? Because if he's a guide, if he's a guide, yes. he must be doing some kind of guiding. He came through in the last two years of Flint's life. He died in 1994 in Hove, Sussex, England. He used to live in London. And he came through in a group sitting. And it was definitely his voice. It was definitely him. Obviously, you didn't see him because it was a voice seance, not a materialization seance. <clears throat> and it was just around the time uh, that I was thinking about writing. It took me, what, 14, 15 years to write A Walk on the Wild Side, thinking of putting this book together about all these experiences. It's my autobiography. And uh, he, we talked to a, to a certain extent about the purpose of this when my father died in 1984, I went to Brian Hurst in Hollywood, and he never does trance seances for the general public, because if you touch somebody when they're in trance, it could shock them. But he did a trance for me, and my father came through, and he explained why Carl Jung had come to see me. And he said, you're going to be able to do some very amazing things, and then he went on to say, the next time we speak, you'll be in London. I had not been in London. This was 1980-something. The book was just getting ready to come out. Lo and behold, the next time I spoke to my father was through a medium in London. How did my father know that? It was years before when he made the prediction. So we have to take all these things on board. Uh, you know, there are many things we, we don't know. But if you listen to enough Flint tapes, You'll hear, it'll open, it'll give you an education far beyond any university education that you could ever get. Trust hmm. me on that. Well, in, in the next segment, I want to talk about Leslie Flint, who he was, if we can actually hear some of these recordings. I think there's a setup on the website so we can do that. Um, and and you got to give us background because for a lot of people, this is going to sound, you know, kind of the ancient expression would be far out. I mean, we... For, for all the abilities and all the incredible magical things that science has presented us with, these core areas seem to be drifting further away. There was much more interest and much more sustainability in terms of discipline to do the mediumship you were talking about earlier than there appears to be now. And I'm just wondering, is it merely the age we live in or is there a concerted political effort to try to keep all this, you know, sub rosa? Or is it just something that was a passing, you know, fancy, and we've moved on much to well, our... Well, the answer is both. The answer is both is people are too lazy to sit in the development circle to develop physical mediumship. I sat for 11 years and didn't get it. There's no guarantee that if you sit in the development circle with like-minded people that you're going to get it. And the second one, <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> the church wants to keep it under wraps. Uh, if you found out that everybody's going to be okay... We can tell the story about uh, when I lived in Boston going to see Father Messina, Isabel Hickey, the famous astrology teacher uh, who wrote Astrology of Cosmic Science. When I broke up with my girlfriend, she said, well, I can't help you anymore. She said, you need to get into the past life regression and you go mm -hmm. and see Father Messina at Blessed Sacrament. Hold on, hold it there. Father we'll, hang on, hang on. We'll, we'll, we'll pick up right there. My guest of the morning is Gary Williams. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland, and we'll return with a really interesting story. Don't go away. Thanks for listening to this exciting first hour. Now, the second and third hour of the show is available to Club 19.5 members only. Please support the show by subscribing to Club 19.5 and join our very interesting community. To do that, please visit the website, theothersideofmidnight.com, and click on the Join Club 19.5 link in the left-hand column. 
As a Club 19.5 member, you'll gain access to the rest of this show and all previous 350-plus shows that we have done. Now, recent Club 19.5 member archive recording have the commercials removed and the sound quality has been enhanced. You'll also receive a dedicated private podcast feed that contains these enhanced show recordings. And you'll be able to download the MP3 files directly from the archive if you prefer. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll have access to a private chat server that member used to chat about the show during the show, and you will have a direct channel to post a question that will be read on the air to the guest. And you'll have a place to post questions during our open hailing frequencies. We realize that not everyone wants to call in live, and this gives you an easy way to participate in a live show without having to participate. Club 19.5 members can use this private chat to talk about the shows, ask questions, suggest new guests, and I may even pop on from time to time to answer specific questions. Also, the entire bridge crew is in these participating chat channels, so you can interact with them as well. You'll also be the first to preview our new videos and reports. We'll be adding exclusive new features to Club 19.5 as we go forward, and boy, have we got some amazing things to tell you about in the coming weeks. So please support the show and don't miss all the exciting new things we have planned. I want to thank all our Club 19.5 members because without your guys' support, this show would not be on the air. Please help us continue growing the show by subscribing to Club 19.5 today. And when I say we really need you, we really need you. Over and out. <laughs>